Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this 14th day of January 2023. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and let's start off our look back at what's been going on in a nation and a world gone utterly insane with a quick update from one of the latest smoke screens. We'll come back and pick up some of the details here in a minute. From the saga of the fake puppet president who's finding that even senility isn't a good enough excuse for the kind of stuff he has now been caught again and again and uh, again doing after calling better men than he irresponsible for doing a lot less. By the time we got to the weekend, even the leftist Daily Mail was having a tough time explaining away this. Biden ignores questions again and again, they say, on classified documents from an army of reporters as regime is slammed for, quote, lack of transparency. Why didn't he disclose the classified documents sooner? Why does he keep getting caught with more and more and more of them? Why did they sit on the information? We really do know the answer, but if you haven't heard it yet, stay with us. We'll come back to this after we talk about the things that are really important that are being hidden and driven off the front pages by the latest Biden scandal. Let's start more or less chronologically back over the weekend. But now I'm sure you've heard this, though. The House rhino has, in fact, warned the House of Representatives down. They cave to the inevitable that the deep state is really still calling the shots when push comes to shove, and, of course, twisting arms past the breaking point. But at least there were a few significant concessions that were wrung out. We'll touch on some of that in a bit, but let's begin with the latest communist takeover news of the biggest country in South America this time. It does seem like, maybe after all, Brazilians did learn a lesson from watching the communists take over in once-free America just over two years ago this weekend. Here's one of several stories and updates from the Gateway Pundit over the weekend, a massive crowd of Brazilians has descended on the capital of Brasilia to protest the stolen elections, and they have now stormed the National Congress. Police are using tear gas, gunfire has been reported, and the communist regime there is cracking down almost as severely, so far at least, as they did in the swamp. The big difference, it would seem, though, is that this pushback is real. Reports put the number of protesters in the capital in the millions. The presidential palace has been occupied, and protesters have also stormed the Supreme Court, which has been mainly responsible for consolidating the communist coup and what Richard Abelson, for the Gateway Pundit, correctly calls election fraud denialism. Zara Hedge is also honestly covering what's going on down there, in contrast to most of the mainstream media here, both then and now. They have video and images showing Brazil's Supreme Court, which they note has been completely destroyed. Guess turnabout's fair play. They pretty well destroyed the rule of law, such as it was in Brazil. And there are reports that their communist imposter has left the imperial compound and the city and fled to Sao Paulo. Not before the communist so-called President Lula declared a federal intervention until the end of this month, January 31st, in response to the protest, while police could be seen arresting dozens of people in videos. Reports on the ground say that mounted police tried to subdue the crowds but didn't even have a chance because they were way outnumbered. Although some reports do indicate military police were seen taking selfies with the pro-democracy or pro-Bolsonaro protesters. Hmm, and I'll pause there. That'll at least sound a bit familiar, folks, although you haven't heard that story for about a year and 11 months and 20 days or so. Other protesters were seen doing things like escorting a lone stranded policeman to safety, while protests themselves have spread all across Brazil. Now, as you might suspect, folks, because truth really is the first casualty of war, there's a lot of conflicting information coming out of Brazil at this point. And true to communist form, there are almost certainly a bunch of agent provocateurs working to sow more violence and chaos as well. 
An updated headline from the Gateway Pundit Monday morning showed just how chaotic the situation has become. It says, Bolsonaro condemns vandalism. Five people have been shot, 1,200 arrested, as protesters are now disarming provocateurs amongst them and handing them over to police. Meanwhile, the evidently elected but not installed president, Jair Bolsonaro, issued a statement from Orlando, Florida, where he's staying at the home of Brazilian UFC fighter Jose Aldo. Peaceful, law-abiding demonstrations, he said, are part of democracy. However, vandalism and invasions of public buildings, such as occurred today, as well as those practiced by the left in 2013 and 2017, are not legal. Throughout my term in office, I've always respected the bounds of the Constitution, respecting and defending the law, democracy, transparency, and our sacred freedom. I repudiate the accusations with no evidence attributed to me by the current head of the executive of Brazil, unquote. And I guess I like that terminology. The largest pro-democracy protest in world history, says TGP, had remained amazingly peaceful for two months. But violence erupted on December 12th after the arrest of indigenous chief Pastor Sarir. And video showed Antifa-style provocateurs among the rioters. Will Liesel also reported that left-wing provocateurs were being arrested on January the 8th. Video showed the National Guard apprehending a left-wing provocateur with Molotov cocktails, ostensibly intending to stage some violence for a TV crew. While millions of Brazilians thronged the streets of Brazil for two months protesting the, uh, to put it mildly, suspicious elections on October the 30th, Bolsonaro himself never called for a coup, military intervention, or called the elections what they were, fraudulent. He did not speak to his desperate supporters for 40 full days, emerging from the presidential palace only once to lead the massive crowd in prayer. On Monday, after the eruption of violence and frustration over the weekend, the crackdown came. The people, says TGP, fear the communist Lula, his Supreme Court Justice Marais, and the communists supporting their takeover of South America's largest country. Hundreds of buses were lined up in Brasilia to take the protesters to prison without trial. Hey, does sound a bit like America, post-Constitution, falling the obviously unsuccessful, but think about it, folks especially by U.S. press standards, largely peaceful protests at the Capitol on January 6th. Protesters have been filmed disarming provocateurs, continues the story here, handing them over to police, while corrupt communist convict Luis Inacio Lula da Silva has charged the elected president, Bolsonaro, with, get this, undemocratic acts. And the story notes, Lula da Silva himself is a convicted criminal who arguably shouldn't even be allowed to serve as president if not for the state capture practiced by the corrupt Supreme Court, which has its own police force, a.k.a. the federal police. And on that same subject, just in Monday morning, the evil Marxist Supreme Court justice has now ordered hotels in Brasilia to list any guests who have stayed in those hotels since the 5th of January. Protesters in Brasilia are being taken by bus to the federal police superintendent, and whether or not there's a crime, they will remain in the prison area of the Complexo do Papuda. Alexandre de Moraes has also prohibited the entry of all buses that took protesters to Brasilia and ordered the blocking of 200 profiles on two Facebook and TikTok under a daily fine of 100,000 Brazilian reales, or about 20 grand a day U.S. And among the 1,300 people so far arrested were at least 40 children, notes the Gateway Pundit. First they steal, then they lie. Now comes the mop-up operation. 
Still, that didn't stop Lula from claiming that, quote, no leftist movement has ever invaded the National Congress, the Supreme Court, and the Presidential Palace. Well, I guess you could argue until now when they stole the election, but even that's a lie. In 2014, says TGP, protesters of what was called the Landless Workers Movement, MST, overthrew barricades in front of the Presidential Palace and did try to invade the Supreme Court, wrote Elon Musk on Twitter, sharing a photo exposing the ridiculous claim that Lula won. Quote, I hope that the people of Brazil are able to resolve matters peacefully, unquote, and does sound like it's a bit late for that. Oh, here's an interesting tidbit in one of the updates. Congress's most catastrophic communist, Alexandria of the Occasional Cortex, has finally discovered a foreigner on American soil that she once deported. Not an illegal alien invader, of course, but none other than the actually elected president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro. Figures. The genuine fascists called the pro-democracy protesters in Brazil fascists, claiming, quote, we must stand in solidarity with Lula's democratically elected government. The U.S. must cease granting refuge to Bolsonaro in Florida. Hey, I know, maybe they should give him a plane ticket and send him to someplace out in flyover country. You think she'd be happy with that? Nah, probably not unless he agreed to register as a communist. By Tuesday, we were reading things like this. A Brazilian senator named Marcos Duval says he now has evidence that the new leftist minister of justice, sick, Flavio Dino, was informed about the threat against government buildings in Brasilia and did, well, exactly what you'd expect from a leftist that knows it's coming and wants it to. Nothing. Senator Duval plans to visit the gym where the protesters are being held without charges, without attorneys, or without basic amenities. Reports are that at least two of the as many as 2,000 people held in a reconfigured gymnasium have already died. Looks more than a bit reminiscent of that sports arena post-Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. Anyway, the peaceful protesters, including a number of children and old folks, were taken to a gym and held without charges or lawyers, also without toilets, food, or water, for over 16 hours. Again, two have reportedly already died. It's being called Lula's Concentration Camp, a.k.a. the Lulog, as well as a crime against humanity. Says a Brazilian senator, via the translation, the Minister of Justice was informed of the attacks the day before. The moment it started, he went to the ministry window, looked out, and did nothing. I've already started to find evidence, said Senator Duval, that President Lula was also aware of what was going to happen and did nothing, he tweeted. Prompting Joe Hoff to the Gateway Pundit to ask the uh, what should be obvious question. Is the international waste stream media and global socialist movement, a.k.a. the New World Order, the WEF, the Davos crowd, you name it, all trying to make Brazil's Sunday protests their own version of a January 6th event or Reichstag fire? He points to the occasional cortex who called the protesters fascist and called for all of them to be punished. Just like January 6th protests, says Hoff, the far-left socialists don't want to discuss the reason why the people were protesting. They only want to punish. But in Brazil, there's information supporting the elections that are required to be available for review by the military for their role in election oversight, but which has never been provided. And the reason? Well, obviously, Lula would have been removed from office had it been. Frank Gaffney on Sunday called the protest Brazil's version of a Reichstag fire, saying that millions of Lula's opponents have protested and turned out peacefully in cities across the country for some 70 days, urging the military to intervene pursuant to its constitutional duty to exercise oversight of elections that have obviously been stolen, but they didn't act. And after Lula took office January 1st, key government buildings in Brasilia were attacked, apparently by a combination of leftist provocateurs as well as supporters of President Jair Bolsonaro, who has denounced all of those responsible for the violence. 
Still, though, says Gaffney, like Hitler's Reichstag fire, count on the Marxists to use this pretext to suppress their opponents and, of course, freedom. There's a different kind of protest going on in Arizona where members of the Arizona legislature and the Arizona Freedom Caucus turned their backs on the gubernatorial thief, Katie Hobbs, and walked out of her annual State of the State address Monday, and then slammed her in a new statement for the, quote, election riddled with violations of Arizona law and her embrace of the, quote, left's extreme woke agenda. They also criticized her preference to illegally legislate via executive order and her willingness to, quote, exploit the levers of power in our state. The senator, who's chairman of the Arizona Freedom Caucus, Jake Hoffman, even said that her far-left woke agenda, quote, elevates her actions and uh, this is probably an understatement, folks, to tyrannical. After the speech and the embarrassment, Hobbs hid from the media, just like she's hiding the theft, and in their statement following the protest, the Arizona Freedom Caucus members wrote on the heels of an election riddled with violations of Arizona law that once again left Arizonans disenfranchised and lacking confidence, to put it mildly, folks, in our state's local governments, Katie Hobbs has now affirmed what many reasonably feared. This governor, sick, has no intention of using her high office to correct existing corruption and restore the faith of Arizonans in their state and local governments. This reality, they continued, observable in both the words that the alleged governor spoke in her address, as well as those she omitted, is not only tragic for Arizonans, but indicative of the crisis point in which we find ourselves. We cannot trust the person occupying the highest elected office in our state to even acknowledge the very real problems that our constituents face, let alone endeavor to address them. And they promised to, quote, fight her extremism every step of the way. And in case you've missed it, this related story is important, but does need a bit of introduction. The gubernatorial thief, Katie Hobbs, mocking the oath of office. This is a private ceremony, no reporters allowed, to commemorate the theft of the Arizona gubernatorial election. It starts off when this pitiful excuse for a judge asks her to repeat, do you solemnly swear, but she can't. She turns her head and laughs at that because she knows what's going to follow. And then the sycophant repeats it, and then you can hear what happened after that. Yeah, no kidding. The idea of actually supporting the Constitution is such a joke, and they've gotten away with it, that they can't help themselves. They burst out laughing. Stop it! Well, that should have been said before the farce was put in place, folks. The destruction of the country and the fact that they're getting away with it in broad daylight is hilarious to these people. From there, on we go to the U.S. House of Representatives, or is it? And that at least is an open question as we see what's happening. Now that Kevin McCarthy has picked up that gavel that he fought a lot harder for than he did the Constitution for these United States, and we'll see whether or not he's been properly chastened and will actually honor the promises he's made or not. So far, so good, but honestly, folks, I'm not sure how much that proves. But still, we have several stories. Updates, says one from Christina Layla at the Gateway Pundit. The GOP-controlled House has now passed their new rules package in what's being called the first major test for Speaker McCarthy by a vote of 211 to 205. And that's all of the Republican votes. And as we've been talking, some of the things that are in it seem to have been telegraphed already, like the motion to vacate, perhaps the most significant concession McCarthy had to make in the rules package, that historic procedural tool that can be used to remove the Speaker if he fails to do what he said he would. The rules include a select committee to investigate the, quote, weaponization of the federal government, 
and a panel that's expected to be part of the House Judiciary Committee, now expected to be chaired by GOP Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio, said Chip Roy, Texas Republican, was one of the chief negotiators for the conservatives. McCarthy agreed to give the subcommittee, quote, the kind of budget and staffing, at least as many, they said, as the January 6th committee. Quote, we get more resources, more specifically, more power to go after this recalcitrant Biden administration. Sick, said Roy. And there's also what's called the reinstatement of the Holman Rule. First adopted in 1876, it's a measure that allows amendments to appropriation bills to slash the salaries or fire specific federal employees. That would have been really nice to have over the last few years, don't you think? Or even cut specific programs. Tweeted Representative Matt Gates, this is what we've been fighting for. Referring specifically to seven bills that the holdouts were able to include in the now approved rules package, including one of them that was unanimously approved by Republicans Monday evening, rescinding funding for the 87,000 troop IRS standing army funded by the laughably misnamed Inflation Reduction Act to the tune of almost 80 billion bucks to the IRS over the next few years. That undisguised threat to, as Jefferson put it, harass our people and eat out their substance which the Wall Street Journal later came out and said was intended to target the middle class, not to mention conservatives. But that, at least, is nothing new. I guess it's fair to quote McCarthy here. House Republicans, he said, just voted unanimously to repeal the Democrats' army of 87,000 IRS agents. This was our very first act of the new Congress because government should work for you, not against you. Hey, I'm glad to see, at least for now, he's parroting that line. And then he added, promises made, promises kept. But also, in fairness, remember, folks, nothing is actually accomplished until the Senate signs off on it, too. And that's a far more difficult battle at this point, and it'll require equal chutzpah from those non-rhinos in the Senate to stand up to the evil ones there. And they're more openly leftist colleagues. Some of the other bills contained within the rules package included several of them intended to deal with abortion, including prohibiting taxpayer funding thereof, as well as the border, including bills to authorize the Secretary of Akhtung Homeland Security to turn away people crossing the border illegally and prohibit the Secretary of Energy, sick, from sending our strategic petroleum reserves directly to communist China. They better hurry on that one or the Biden regime will have already emptied it. Here's another related piece of ostensibly good news, this one courtesy of Jim Hoft in the Gateway Pundit. Kevin McCarthy told reporters on Monday that far-left communist so-called representatives Adam Schiff for brains, Eric CCP buddy Swalwell, and Ilhan Omar will not be serving sick on the committees that they previously used to sell out America, like intelligence and foreign affairs. You may recall Eric Swalwell famously had his uh, liaison with Chinese spy, now evidently the late Fang Fang. Ilan Omar broke federal immigration laws by marrying her brother. And, of course, Adam Schiff for brains is a serial liar and a favorite of the anti-constitutional far-left waste stream and anybody that hates the concept of a constitutional republic. And this particular promise, by the way, was made by McCarthy back in November, even before the most recent speaker battle. Said McCarthy, quote, Swalwell can't get a security clearance in the private sector. I'm not going to give him a government security clearance. Schiff has lied too many times to the American public, he said, to Punchbowl. He shouldn't be on Intel. And I've made all these cases before. It's not like it's anything new. Remember, he said, this is what Nancy Pelosi, this is the type of Congress she wanted to have. Now, quick aside here, folks, and seriously, what kind of a house would even allow absolute traitorous scumbags like this to be anywhere close to house intelligence or anything associated with national security? Good grief. 
But hey, we're still trying to get out of a hole that's been dug for a long time and is real deep at this point. But there seem to be some rhinos falling on their swords as well. Mike Rogers, after an outburst on Friday night having to do with Matt Gates and his failure to cave to pressure and vote for McCarthy as speakers, seems to have borne the fruit he deserved. As TGP put it, quote, Rogers was last seen early Saturday morning screaming, threatening, and lunging at Representative Matt Gates in the U.S. House of Representatives. He's now stepped down from the House Steering Committee. And Rhino and pirate lookalike Dan Crenshaw repeatedly threatened holdout Republicans, labeling them terrorists for daring to not support McCarthy early on for Speaker. Thankfully, he's been defeated by House Freedom Caucus member Representative Mark Green to be chair of the Homeland Security Committee. Here's more federal tyranny that the Congress isn't yet looking at. A so-called safety agency, yeah, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, is now considering a ban on gas-powered stoves amid claims that they produce harmful pollutants and are a hidden health hazard. Yeah, natural gas stoves, which are still allowed in once-free America. They're used in about 40% of homes in the U.S. They, says the U.S. CPSC, emit air pollutants like nitrogen and carbon monoxide and fine particulate matter at levels that the EPA and WHO, yeah, the World Health Organization, have claimed are unsafe. No, take your poison poke instead, you gullible ones. And they're linked to respiratory illness, cardiovascular problems, unlike the Zyklon B injection, cancer, and other health conditions. Good grief. So they want to ban something that you can use to cook food that they don't want you to have anyway. Obviously, they don't want you to have a gas stove to cook your bugs on. The goal, says the piece here from TGP, is to replace all gas-powered furnaces and water heaters with electric appliances, which, of course, won't have electricity for much longer either. And as they note, California, way ahead on this front, can't even keep the lights on already. Now, this next one caught your host's eye as well. And if you haven't seen the video, folks, it's downright shocking. This comes from the Gateway Pundit. They've got the video. Dateline, Houston, Texas. It says an armed robber was shot to death by a patron at a taqueria just before midnight Thursday. Surveillance video shows a male in a black ski mask walking around the taqueria, robbing customers at gunpoint. Whereupon he walks by, and this was his fatal mistake, a bald older man seated at one of the tables on his way to rob somebody else. Whereupon that fellow drew his concealed weapon, and fired from a seated position, putting seven rounds into the robber and killing him dead in a doornail right there on the spot. But for the last few rounds, he actually got up and made sure it was a done deal. Whereupon he collected the money from the body, distributed it back to the victims of the robbery, and then left. And if you're wondering why, the follow-up stories provide more than enough reason. The hero customer, says Zero Hedge's summary, who shot that armed robber at a Houston taco joint, has been ordered to face a grand jury. And guess what? It's a Soros-funded DA to boot. So you already know how this particular ham sandwich is going to be indicted. Soros-funded prosecutor of the citizenry, DA Kim Og. wonder if that means there's a Nephilim bloodline connection here has ordered the hero customer strapped to the train tracks of their impending grand jury choo-choo train. And it turns out, interestingly, Og is the same Soros prosecutor who just let that career criminal that was put down by the Texas hero out on bond. Writes Chris Menahan, a grand jury will not decide, or at least be coerced into thinking they decided, 
whether an armed Taqueria customer who shot and killed an armed robber last week in southwest Houston and is now being hailed as a hero will be criminally charged. Investigators said the 46-year-old customer, who police have not identified because he's not under arrest, turned himself in and is cooperating with detectives. Fortunately, the hero has hired an attorney to defend himself and properly exercised his right to remain silent. But his lawyer put out the following statement. My client, who wishes to remain anonymous, was dining with a friend at El Ranchito Taqueria, as has been seen on video, and a robbery suspect entered the restaurant, pointed a weapon at my client and other customers demanding money. In fear of his life and his friend's life, my client acted to protect everyone in the restaurant. And the video pretty well makes that clear, folks. In Texas, said the attorney, a shooting is justified in self-defense, defense of others, and in defense of property. The customer has met with the Harris County district attorney, sick, and their office, and investigators with HPD homicide. He fully intends to continue cooperation with the ongoing investigation, and when that's complete, said the attorney, this case will be presented to a grand jury. We're confident that a grand jury will conclude that the shooting was justified under Texas law. So for all of those reasons, he'd like to remain anonymous. Meanwhile, local media has said, yeah, the thug he put down was a career criminal, and as many have now observed, if the DA would just go after real criminals as opposed to heroes, things might be a lot different. But they're not, so we're going to need more of the real kind. That takes us to the break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the second segment for this evening. I'm your host, Mark Hall. And let's start this one off with this story. Not because it's even remotely true, but just because it's what's being pushed today by the likes of the Daily Mail. Here's the headline. Massachusetts, Minnesota, and New York are the best states to raise a family. Are you believing that? Because you know, without a second thought, all your kids will grow up to be good little leftists. That is, if they don't get mugged or raped or killed first. Oh, yeah, and San Francisco is the best place to get free human bio-sludge on the streets. But watch out for the needles. Way down in the piece, it says, yes, given the notoriously high tax rates and concentration of wealth in the really, really blue East Coast states, these results will likely raise some eyebrows. They don't even mention crime until way down in the bottom of the piece, along with the fact that, yeah, people are leaving some of these highly ranked states in droves. Wonder why? Answer, leftists, and that's why we're pushing these puff pieces. And I started with that one, folks, because it tells you a whole lot more about what's really going on than what the waste stream is trying to get you to swallow along with it. Like this, for example. And you just know there's more here than meets the eye. Or than you're going to hear from the WAPO. But it seems to boil down to this. Classified documents just keep turning up at various Biden drop sites. Here's a sample headline from the Daily Mail. Midweek, there was more later. Second batch of Biden documents found in a garage at his Wilmington home. The president, sick, struggles to read off script when asked, classified materials next to your Corvette? What were you thinking? They called it the latest explosive development of the classified document story. At the same time, Zero Hedges coverage reminded us, 
The first batch of classified documents was found the day before the midterm elections and not reported until Tuesday of this week. So, note Zero Hedge, apparently the DC to waste stream media leak apparatus is well under control. That's clearly true. By Friday, the Daily Mail was trying to peddle a timeline showing that the classified documents were found on November 2nd, but that, yeah, the National Archives and later the DOJ were informed long, long before the press or the American public or anybody even got wind of it. Which didn't happen until, uh, hmm, very late December. But they're trying to tell us there was an FBI investigation, sick, that began the day after the midterms. Anybody drinking that Kool-Aid? But let's be honest, this is another one of those cases where it's what you don't see that really tells you what the waste media doesn't want you to see. For example, here's a headline we haven't seen. FBI raids Delaware home of Biden family, finds treasure trove of documents in the basement, and took a picture of them. Here they are, laid out neatly right next to his face mask collection, just like we claim to have found them. Nope, don't hold your breath for that one. Here's the New York Times headline, second set of classified files were found in Biden's garage in Delaware home after a previous batch was found in the closet of an office at a think tank that Mr. Biden had used after leaving the vice presidency. Why, even the Daily Mail admits that the vice president doesn't have the authority to declassify material, so what's going on here? And they also note that the Biden Fuhrer himself has blasted Donald Trump for his, quote, irresponsible handling of <laughs> classified materials. All of this pales in comparison with Hitlery, of course, who just gets the FBI to help hammer any evidence into non-existence. And here they quote the senile one himself. By the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay, it's not like it's sitting out in the street. Well, there you go. That makes it okay. No wonder the FBI's given him a pass for half a dozen years. On which score, you gotta love what the New York Times does actually say, right there below their headlines. Listen to how they phrase it. How does the discovery of classified files in President Biden's possession compare with Donald Trump's case? <laughs> Answer! This is easy. One of them is clearly way, way above the law. The other is just plain guilty, 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 and we don't need any evidence. The alternative press, though, is asking questions that the criminally negligent networks evidently don't intend to. At least 54 million bucks, says the natural news coverage, has been donated by, what else, the Communist Chinese Party and linked individuals or entities between 2014 and 2019 to the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy und Global Engagement in Washington at the University of Pennsylvania, according to public records reported by the New York Post, where it was revealed this week that Biden had stashed the first trove of classified documents, at least the first trove that's been found, which does beg the question, folks. A lot of this dates back over half a decade at this point. Most of it dates back to at least just before the election. Isn't that amazing? And it didn't really, I won't say hit the fan, but sprinkle the fan even until Biden's team, Biden's aides, those are the terms you'll hear used over and over again in the waystream press. Notice it's not FBI agents, that's for sure, much less a raid. But it does seem to have happened, coincidentally, shortly after so many of the usual suspects. Adam Schiff for brains, Eric Swalwell, and let's not forget Nutcase Nancy herself, and a whole trove of others were removed from, maybe we should call them blocking positions, and various intelligence committees. And I can't help but recall what the Clinton regime used to call this process, inoculation. If you know that there's going to be a bimbo eruption, for example, and women are going to come forward and accuse, say, oh, I don't know, a president of rape, well, you better call them something else first and make sure the press says, hey, that's old news. And this will be old news real soon now, won't it? Meanwhile, though, the Daily Mail's timeline for this week seems a bit more honest. 
January 9th, they say White House first tells public about the first set of documents. Then on January the 12th, oops, more documents found in Biden home. Oh, and later that same day, they finally admit two more were also found. How many are we up to now? I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, and you can't help but wonder what other documents won't be found. Or maybe the FBI already has them, and they're giving them the Hunter Biden laptop from hell treatment. Well, one thing's for sure, folks. This stinks to high heaven, but you can rest assured the spin is just starting. So what else is new? And what else aren't we going to hear too much about until it's too late? This one comes from Natural News as well, under the headline, Millions of heads of American cattle could soon starve to death due to the ongoing and being exacerbated by the minute rail and feed crisis. California-based poultry producer Foster Farms is now petitioning the STB, or Service Transportation Board, for emergency assistance, warning that their dairy cattle and chickens are running out of food and fast. Blaming extreme weather conditions, the Union Pacific Railway delivery features, I'm sorry, failures, but maybe I got it right the first time, and other factors, Foster Farms says the point has again been reached where hundreds of thousands of dairy cattle are not being fed and millions of chickens will starve to death because of UP's service failures. A day after that petition was submitted, the U.S. freight rail regulator ordered UP to deliver five trains of feed to Foster Farms. However, only one of those trains arrived as scheduled, according to the company. And because chickens are smaller than cattle, they risk dying more quickly without food than their large your counterparts, adding, of course, to the tens of millions that have already been off by those looking to exacerbate the coming famine. Well, at least, folks, that's the way it certainly appears if you've been paying attention. For their part, UP says it's systemic problems and not just the weather that's to blame for their train failures. We've got engineered problems, folks, with things like diesel fuel. Oh, yeah. And UP and other major rail lines have been on the verge of a national strike for many months now. Failed negotiations with unions and the occupying regime in Washington have left a precarious situation, says the piece, that seems to get worse by the day, whether you're being warned about that by the fourth estate or not. Meanwhile, Wall Street has been holding its breath for the latest fudge figures from the bureaus of lying statistics on consumer prices. And here you go. The Zero Hedge headline says services CPI has soared to its highest level in 40 years, while real wages have shrunk for the 21st straight month. As expected, headline and core CPI printed right as expected between six and a third and six and three quarter percent with a 0.1 percent measly decline month over month, leaving the year over year print at plus 6.5%, also as expected. Yeah, the hype is that inflation in goods continues to slow, but services inflation continues to soar. It's the highest in over 40 years, along with shelter costs. And guess what was the biggest driver in the decline of the year-over-year print, along with goods costs? Energy. (laughs) And what that really proves is dumping the strategic petroleum reserves can delay the inevitable and then make it worse when it actually finally comes home to roost. I love it when a plan comes together. In amidst all the other fireworks, the Biden regime has, and here I'm quoting the Daily Mail headline, quietly extended the so-called COVID-1984 Zyklon B public health emergency one more time, even though the Biden Fuhrer claimed the pandemic was over four months ago. But maybe, just maybe, the regime might end the order in the spring. That is, if they can't think of another reason for continuing to uh, keep the hammer in hand. This after the U.S. military allegedly at least ended their deadly vaccine mandate Tuesday night, long after most of the damage has obviously been done. 
We've got a related story on that one here, this time from Bill Carter at Natural News, quoting researcher Alexandra Sasha Latipova, who has exposed the United States Department of Defense, there's a misnomer for you, as the main player in the weaponization of what else? The booga booga flu, the Wuhan coronavirus, and the COVID-1984 vaccines, sick, saying that they're in direct collusion with Big Pharma in faking the clinical trials. She told host Maria Z during her uncensored episode, I have seen 400 contracts for everything. Vaccines, monoclonal antibodies, the masks, even swabs, tests, staffing, logistics, and everything related to COVID-19. And she added that the DOD and the Biomedical Advanced Research Development Authority, or BARDA, gave different grants and contracts for the development of these kinds of things. So she said they're all with DOD and BARDA, as well as the Department of Health and Human Services. They actually merge into the same organization and report to the executive branch of the government. She also pointed out that the Department of Defense, SIC, launched Operation Warp Speed, which was explicitly the chief operating office of the whole shebang. And it amounts to a layer of the U.S. government that designs, develops, manufactures, and tests these products, a.k.a. so-called vaccines, but under the oversight of the DOD. But the legal structure is that when the HHS secretary, then Alex Azar, decides whether they really are or not that they are effective, they can be released on the market. And under the Trump administration, she said, Azar was that person who pulled that trigger. Latipova heads the investigative group Team Enigma and noted that the EUA, or Emergency Use Authorization, which was used to springboard this entire scam, adopted in 1997, was then amended in 2003, 4, 5, 2013, and 2017, and it enables the Secretary of so-called Health and Human Services to use EUA-covered medical countermeasures, which doesn't constitute a clinical investigation of trials. In other words, folks, as you've seen, they fudge the figures fudge the numbers and lie about the number of people that die too. declare that it's safe and effective especially when it's not and go ahead and slam it into americans arms and bodies whether they like it or not as it turns out in far too many cases all of this she notes means that the so-called public health regulator how's that for a big lie the federal death agency or fda doesn't actually play a role in these drug trials quote fda has been acting and playing a theater and pretending to be a regulator and that's the fraud that's been committed on all of us said the team Enigma leader. They also discovered how substandard and unsanitary the vaccine factories are. Latipova called the existence of a redacted FDA audit form 483 that indicated deviations from the standard operating procedures, which her team obtained via, what else, a FOIA request. And that form noted that one vaccine factory is not maintained and not of suitable size, design, or location to facilitate cleaning, maintenance, and proper operation. But hey, who cares? The goal is to kill people anyway, right? Moreover, the audit wrote that the procedures to prevent cross-contamination were not executed in the facilities manufacturing protocol. Let me say it again, folks, as clearly as I can. So, people are getting injected with something which isn't clean, isn't manufactured correctly. Guess what? They're probably better off than if they'd gotten the real crap that was deadlier than you know what injected into their bodies. Better still, they should have settled for saline. And think of it this way. Even seawater from the beach would be better than what most people got injected with. And the story goes on to talk about Brooke Jackson. 
who was the director of operations for a multi-state manufacturing and management organization in charge of supervising the testing of SARS-CoV-2, as well as Abbott's RT-PCR technologies and the early phase trials of Remdesivir, the famous Fauci death drug, at the start of the pandemic. In September 2020, she became the Ventavia Research Group Regional Director with a task to oversee the conduct of Pfizer's Phase 3 COVID so-called vaccine trials at a number of locations in Texas. And then she said the following, In the 20 years I've been involved in clinical research, I've never seen a study conducted by an investigative site managed by a contractor or overseen by a pharmaceutical sponsor, and that evidently scared her, she said, until then. What I documented and recounted to my former employer and to Pfizer during an internal audit was dangerous and violated federal law. I felt that I had a responsibility, she said, to make sure that the participants were protected and the fraudulent data being collected in the study was not used in any safety and efficacy analysis, for which, you can guess it, can't you, she was fired within hours, and she's since sued Pfizer. Said Latipova, Jackson was under the impression that she was participating in a clinical trial and was supposed to monitor it and actually report it to the FDA when the violations happened. In reality, she was participating in a theatrical performance. And when she didn't read the lines correctly, she's out of there. Here's one more. I think it's related. The deadline has passed. Who could have thought it? Writes Zachary Stiber for the Epic Times for Pfizer to submit the results of a study, sick, exploring the frequency of heart inflammation following receipt of that company's Zyklon B injection. Um, no, they call it the COVID-19 vaccine. They were required, it says, by the theater, the U.S. FDA, to conduct a number of studies on their vaccine after the FDA slammed dunk and approved it back in August 21 because regulators determined that without the studies there would not be sufficient data to assess the quote known serious risks of things that are now literally out of control in the world like myocarditis and pericarditis or heart inflation and lots of people from celebrities to football players to pretty much you name it dropping dead or just plain never waking up in the morning Pfizer was told to carry out six studies and you know how they did it before don't you well sounds like they did it again this time they didn't even bother because the final deadline arrived on December 31st 2022 and who cares they already know the answer they knew it before it's just the peons they aren't going to be allowed to hear it until that is they find out by watching their favorite sports people just drop dead on the field or uh, maybe mom and dad or cousin Billy, or maybe their son. Neither Pfizer nor the FDA has responded to requests for comment, says the story, or issued any information about the study or its alleged results since the deadline passed. And here's Stiber quotes Barbara Lowe Fisher, co-founder and president of the National Vaccine Information Center, who said, Why are FDA officials dragging their feet on making Pfizer's prospective study data on subclinical myocarditis available to the public when evidence has been published in the medical literature that Pfizer's pre-EUA clinical trials revealed a 36% higher risk of serious adverse events in vaccinated participants in compared to those that were lucky and got the placebo? She cited a reanalysis of the original trial data that found vaccinated sick participants had a higher risk, and who could have thought it, of really bad adverse events. Quote, with 79% of Americans having received at least one COVID shot and so many vaccinated young adults, especially physically fit athletes suffering heart attacks and sudden deaths, public health officials should insist that the company with the biggest market share of the COVID vaccine business in the U.S. be completely transparent. 
I'm tempted to laugh at that, folks, but it's not. It's disgusting, it's sad, and it's literally criminal. About what it knows about the biological mechanisms of heart inflammation induced by the mRNA COVID not vaccine that Pfizer claims, lying through their damnable teeth, your host adds here, in my opinion, is both safe and effective, unquote, and you know it. I shouldn't even have to say it at this point. But wait a minute, if I did, especially if I'd tweeted it, it would have been censored anyway, you know that. Here's another piece from Natural News, this time Ramon Tomey, and it says the latest tranche of emails from the Twitter files revealed that the socialist media platform censored posts about natural immunity and the Wuhan COVID-1984 Fauci flu and its so-called vaccines following pressure from a member of what else? Pfizer's board of directors. I guess anybody who's connected with the deep and death state is able to censor anybody who would like to live. An email from Pfizer board member Dr. Scott Gottlieb, dated August 27, 2021, was made public by independent journalist Alex Berenson, and in that email, Gottlieb complained to Twitter senior manager for public safety. What a disgusting, laughable lie. Todd O'Boyle, about a tweet posted Posted by former Admiral Brent Giroir, I think, G-I-R-O-I-R, who reiterated the superiority, obviously and truthfully, of natural immunity over vaccines. Hey, think about it, folks. The way your immune system works is it sees something and it builds an immunity to it. Isn't that better than seeing something that's faked, that it might build the right immunity to or might not? Who are we kidding? If your immune system doesn't work, neither does a vaccine. So this would be one of those things that would be obvious. That is, if we still actually cared about, what did it used to be called? Oh, yeah, science. That was obviously before it became a god with a high priest named Fauci. Said the Admiral, it's now clear that COVID-19 natural immunity is superior to vaccine immunity by a lot. There's no scientific justification for uh, proof of vaccination. And here it sounds like he's talking about the precursor to the mark of the beast. If a person's had a prior infection, he tweeted. He also urged President Donald Trump and former Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, sick Director Dr. Robert Redfield to, get this, follow the science, the real science. In line with that, Gottlieb wrote to O'Boyle, this is the kind of stuff that's corrosive. Here, he draws a sweeping conclusion off a single retrospective study in Israel that hasn't been peer-reviewed. But this tweet will end up going viral and driving news coverage. Well, no, they own the news, too, so... That wasn't going to happen, but this way at least they can make sure that it's completely squelched. The Twitter senior manager then forwarded Gottlieb's email to the strategic response team without mentioning him by name, writing, please see this report from the former FDA commissioner. And according to Berenson, an analyst for the team quickly found that the tweet from the admiral didn't violate any edicts on so-called misinformation. Nevertheless, they went ahead and labeled the post as misleading and all of its interactions, replies, retweets, and likes were disabled. There's more, but you get the picture, and hey, you knew it anyway, didn't you? Here's one more, very much related story, kind of the same topic from the same source, also via Amber Crawford, republished from 100percentfedup.com. Back in April of 2021, at the height of the pandemic, the U.S. Center for Death and Control and the Federal Death Agency, CDC and FDA, issued a statement pausing the administration of the Johnson & Johnson COVID-1984 not vaccine after it 
obviously and unavoidably, and they couldn't even hide it, caused severe blood clotting in six female recipients. After that news broke, two Facebook, and that's the correct pronunciation, folks, contacted the Biden regime to assure them that the socialist media platforms would, quote, get this, amplify any messaging that the regime wanted in order to convince the gullible public of the continuing big lie. Yes, the shot, nevertheless, was, say it with me, folks, safe und effective. And yeah, the more people that die on national TV, the more important it is to keep parroting that great big Hitlerian lie. This time, it's the new Civil Liberties Alliance, or NCLA, that's part of a lawsuit filed by the Attorneys General of Louisiana and Missouri alleging improper collusion between the FedGov and various socialist media Big Brother public-private partners. And the emails between Two Facebook and the White Whorehouse were obtained during the process of discovery. In their communications with you-know-who, Two Facebook asked how they could, quote, get ahead of any possible doubt or fear arising in the general public when they discovered that they'd been had via the Zyklon B injections. One employee, whose name was redacted due to a court order, sent a message to Andrew Slavitt, the Biden regime senior advisor for the COVID response, along with the director of digital strategy, Rob Flaherty, and director of strategic communications and engagement for the COVID-19 response team, Courtney Rao. What a list of criminals, folks. In the email, the employee wrote, RE, the J&J News, we're keen to amplify any messaging you want us to and to project what this means for people. It obviously has the risk of exacerbating vaccine hesitancy, so we're keen to get ahead of the knock-on effect. Don't hesitate to tell me, or via your teams, just how we can help to provide clarity and reassurance via, and he spelled it wrong, to Facebook, unquote. And I guess I'll say it in your host's opinion. There really ought to be a special place in hell for people like this. But wait, we're not even done yet. In response to that email, Flaherty gave the employee some suggestions about how Two Facebook could shut down anyone questioning the safety and efficacy of the not vaccine, such as telling users that, quote, adverse effects are very rare. Besides which, you'll probably never know what hit you. No, he didn't say that, but uh, that's a lot closer to the truth than the big lies that these people have now been caught over and over again, not only promulgating folks, but making sure that you can't speak about the truth. Flaherty also also requested a, quote, commitment from you-know-who to Facebook to make sure that a favorable review of the Zyklon B reaches as many people as the pause, either through hard product interventions or algorithmic amplification, unquote, and wink-wink, nudge-nudge. And then another email between Two Facebook and the regime in Washington, the employee told Flaherty that the socialist media platform would, quote, love to talk about the various ways they could adjust their algorithms to control what information is shared and what is primarily hidden from public view, ensuring that the white whorehouse, and notice I'm using that term very explicitly, has control over the dominant and basically only messaging being allowed to surround the not vaccines. We'll close today with a quick follow-up on a story I actually did the other day. It seems to have gotten legs, as they say, this time via Colin Leinbarger, who says it's the World Economic Forum, the very private and very public partner behind the sudden push that's gone viral to ban natural gas stoves. It's enraged and confused Americans across the country, but we may have found the culprit, they say. Guess what? Prominent Democrats and liberals who never demonstrated an iota of concern over gas stoves before have now gotten the memo, and they're pushing like literally hell to make sure that you can't cook with gas ever again or heat your home or for that matter have any food to cook anyway is the pattern starting to become pretty clear 
Ask yourself this question. Just how much longer are even the gullible going to put up with this? And then what?